Welcome to Untangle, the podcast from Meditation Studio. I am Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who share how meditation and mindfulness practices change our lives. Today, I interview Lodro Rinsler, author, co-founder of Mindful Meditation Studios in New York City, and a meditation teacher on Meditation Studio app. I loved sitting down with Lodro and hearing about his latest book, Love Hurts, Buddhist Advice for the Heartbroken. It isn't a sad book at all, actually. In fact, he shares the universal nature of heartbreak and how it connects us to one another. From the little heartbreaks we experience every day to the big heartbreaks that shake us to the core. He was inspired to write the book because of a series of personal heartbreaks that devastated him. His fiance left him, he lost a job he loved, and then one of his dearest friends died at the age of 29. He fell apart, but he learned so much from this experience. The book is truly a treasure and for anyone that has ever suffered a loss. And as Lodro says, could use a friend. Before we hear from Lodro, I want to give a shout out to one of our podcast partners, Meet Mindful, the online dating site where mindful living meets online dating. Check it out. And this podcast is brought to you by Meditation Studio, Apple's pick as one of the 10 best apps of the year. If you want more sleep or just to feel less anxious, Meditation Studio is here for you. Download us in the App Store or on Google Play. If you have questions or suggestions for our podcast or app, email me at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Untangle. We love having you with us. Now, here's Lodro. Lodro, welcome to Untangle. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I loved your book. For those of you who don't know, Lodro wrote a book called Love Hurts, Buddhist Advice for the Heartbroken. And he wrote this book in a really interesting way. And I would love, Lodro, for you to tell us a little bit about, first of all, what inspired you to write this book? And secondly, the process that you used to write the book. Sure. So the experience of heartbreak is just so universal. I mean, I feel like when we talk about the Buddha attaining enlightenment, the first thing he says is, well, okay, we suffer. And let's talk about that. And yet the idea of being heartbroken, it's something that I think is so isolating for many of us. And when we're heartbroken, we feel like we're the only one in the world that's going through what we're going through. Um, But of course, it's much more universal than that, whether it's the death of a loved one or the breakup situation or us um, going through major life transitions or work transitions, there's lots of opportunities for us to deal with this giant myriad of emotional content that we would generally put under the umbrella term heartbreak. This is a very long-winded way of me saying why would I get interested in such a topic? I think it's because I've, I've known it and I've seen my way through such uh, big ones that I wanted to be able to be there and be that friend for other human beings who are going through similarly giant losses. And I think this particular book has been really interactive. One of the chapters is literally a short story of how when I felt like I would never love again, a friend was there for me. And I will tell you the exact same thing that I heard and how helpful it was for me. So, I, I mean, literally today I received three emails from people that literally just says in the subject line, I won't love again, and then their phone number. 
So I have a lot of phone calls to catch up on. But I mean, this is, it's wonderful because it means like, oh, people are reading it, they're engaging this work and they, they need the support. And, you know, it's nice to have kind words, but it's also nice to know that there is someone on the other end looking out for you. Yeah. Um, if you don't feel that way. So I, I did want it to be like that for the book. Yeah. And you struck, you just struck such a chord with people and your definition of heartbroken is, as you're saying, it's so broad. We all fall apart in little ways daily and in big ways often. And so, you know, I think the fact that you had gone through all of that and that you could really connect with people in their heartbreak is such a beautiful thing. So you did actually physically connect with people. You did 20 minute sessions as you were writing this book, 20 minute sessions with people who would just pop by and tell you their stories. And that kind of became the connective thread through the book. So what was that like? The way the book was written, it was written over a very short period of time. Um, I took up an author in residency position at ABC Carpet and Home here in New York City. It's this iconic, giant store. It takes up over a city block here um, outside of Union Square. And they very generously would open up this office space for me, essentially, a quiet office space. And in the mornings, I would meet with people one-on-one um, and hear their heartbreak stories, as you said, for 20 minutes at a time, basically just bearing witness to what they were going through. And you would say, oh, even up to this point with our conversation so far, someone might say, oh, this book is about romantic heartbreak. And I did hear my fair share of stories like that, but I also heard everything else. I heard I gave my child up for adoption and I don't know where he is. It's 20 years. I fell in love with my heroin sponsor. And as a result, I relapsed. And the heartbreak is actually around my health and my well-being and my fear around relapsing. Yeah. So it's everything. And I mean, it was such uh, an honor to bear witness to these stories. And there were four questions that I would ask these people. One would be, what is your experience of heartbreak? And people might have walked in and said, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them about my last big breakup and then say, my cat died a year ago. And I just realized now that I'm still upset about it. Mm. And then the second question was, how are you feeling right now? Sometimes when we share our stories of heartbreak and we do feel heard or listened to, um, something shifts in us. It might feel not as tight or not as solid. We might feel a little bit lighter as a result. And then the third was, how do you take care of yourself in the midst of a heartbreak? We know our bad habits. We know that we might reach for a bottle or online dating or um, you know, overeating, whatever it might be. And saying, I could actually refrain from that and maybe do something else this time. So there's the book includes lots of suggestions for things and ways that you could take care of yourself. And then the fourth was, what could you do to take care of yourself today? So they would literally have to sit across from me and sort of pledge to take care of themselves that day. And one of the things that you say in the book is that the only way through our heartbreak is to sit with it right in the middle of this terrible, devastating, life-changing experience of it and to know that it will change. And no one wants to do that. And, and I know you weren't counseling people, but I think just by your presence and by asking questions, you were helping them. Did you feel that there was some like common thread in all of the conversations that you had? You know, even as you were saying that, one of them came to mind. And it was this woman who just felt like she had repeated the same patterns over and over and over again with her relationships. And she said, you know, I know you're not supposed to say anything here, but 
will I heal? And I tried to like do my like best sort of supportive face, you know? And she said, I know, I know I will heal and I'm going to get through it. And she just started giving herself like the best pep talk and advice that better than I ever would have because she actually knew her situation. So I think there is something about um, giving ourselves enough space, not only to heal, but to actually listen to our intuition, our gut, our wisdom, however we want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So because we know the skillful means for how to heal. Like that's part of who we are. We've been heartbroken ever since we were children and we didn't get our way or a family member disappointed us. Like there's lots of opportunities that we have healed from heartbreak. So we actually know already that we're resilient. We know that we can do it. It's just giving ourselves the time and space to actually figure out the skillful means. Well, and we all may handle heartbreak and pain a little bit differently because of how we've learned these skillful means over our lifetimes. I mean, what do you think makes us different in terms of how we deal with heartbreak and pain? Each of us has our own ways that we relate to this, both positively and negatively. On the negative side, we all have that thing that we do that we shouldn't do. And I think for many of us, we already know what it is. You know, we know that we might say, oh, I'm just going to drink until I forget this. But we also probably know that that hasn't worked in the past. We, we've learned from our mistakes. In my mind, there's literally two ways that we go forward with like a, a spiritual journey. And one is that we make these mistakes and then we learn from them. Mm-hmm. And then we say, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And then the second way is that we actually say, oh, wait, I made a mistake. I'm learning from it. And I'm actually going to apply the teachings. Like actually saying, I'm going to get to know myself better. I'm going to do the meditation practice. I'm going to actually study these teachings that actually relate directly to suffering and the universal truth of suffering and try to get to the point where I could not make mistakes in the future. Like I could actually get it right on the first try because I've been studying and practicing and getting to know myself so well that I don't act out in the ways that I normally do. How does meditation help with this? So meditation in my mind actually just interjects this pause button like we may have always been full steam ahead and now we're saying wait wait wait. you acknowledge that something's coming up in your own mind every time that you're meditating big thoughts come up you say oh i see that going on i acknowledge it and then i come back to the present moment i come back to the breath i come back to the mantra i come back to whatever my object of meditation might be realizing that we don't have to constantly act on everything that we're thinking or feeling And this is pretty huge, particularly when we're talking about heartbreak, because if we are feeling heartbroken, we might say, oh, my God, I feel heartbroken. I should totally text that person and try and make it better. If if it's a romantic heartbreak, I should totally post this really good looking, flattering photo of myself on Instagram with all my friends knowing so that they know they see it and they know that I'm better off without them or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And here we're saying, "Whoa, whoa, maybe I can actually just feel this for a second. Maybe I can actually just be present. I mean, so many forms of meditation are mindfulness training in that we just learn to be presently aware of what's going on. That doesn't always mean that we're presently aware of peace and joy and happiness. It means sometimes that we're presently aware of sadness and despair. I was on my way here, a meditation student at uh, the meditation studio Run Mindful, grabbed the copy of this book and opened it up and said, oh, good. You wrote about what I'm dealing with. And it literally, the, the chapter is, if you feel really, really, really depressed, you know? And it's like, that's part of it. That's what you might come up if you're presently aware. But at least you know you can stay with it. You can actually remain embodied because you've been meditating. Do you think it helps to 
feel hopeful and optimistic um, because it's one thing to sit with it, but do you think having hope changes the trajectory of how you're feeling? Yeah, I mean, I prefer faith over hope. Mm -hmm. And here's what I mean by that. Hope for me, when I hear that, is like, it feels love and lighty. It feels like, ah, uh, yeah, I mean, I hope I get better and that's that should be nice. But when you're in the pit of that despair, like, you don't really hold on to that. But faith or trust in the Buddhist tradition is faith or trust in your own experience. It's like, well, I've been heartbroken before. I know that I've healed before. Maybe I can have faith in that. Mm. Or I know I was able to be present in that meeting when I was getting sort of annoyed. I didn't yell at everyone. I actually just held my seat and I was annoyed. Mm -hmm. Maybe I, I, I could actually deal with my strong emotions. Maybe I can have faith in that experience. Maybe I, I can trust myself to do it again. So it's literally um, building off of what we already have existent within us. I think that's the difference for me. Do you find that there's a difference between the heart breaking and the ego breaking? I mean, when you talk about being in a meeting, for example, and you're sitting with the very strong emotions that you have, um, is there a difference between heartbreak and ego break? That's a great question. I don't know if there is necessarily. So let's let's just quickly sort of go into the Buddhist realm of ego. Ego here is really the notion of this giant story that we've told about ourselves. And actually, you know, I, I've been doing this workshop for years, and one of the exercises there is we actually sit there and we write, I am and you fill out the rest of the sentence. And some people, and you do it 10 times. I mean, if someone wanted to even just hit pause on this podcast and try it, just grab a piece of paper and a pen or sit down at your computer, literally type I am, and then complete the sentence. More often than not, at the end of this, people have lots of stories that they tell about themselves. I am a sister. I am an author. I am this sort of person at my firm. And then this is sort of how they solidify ego. It's literally just built on a series of stories. But if, for example, your sibling passed away, are you still a sister? If you never wrote a word again, would you still be an author? If you got fired from that firm, what would your relationship be there? If you've built up your ego around all these external factors, then more often than not, you're going to be disappointed. So in some sense, yes, it's the it's the ego that breaks, not the heart. It's the stories that we tell about ourselves. It's the... As you know, in the book, I define heartbreak more as the idea that we've set out expectations for everything that's going on with us. And then reality intervenes. It's like, no, no, that's not actually what's happening here. And we become disappointed. So for one of the examples in the heartbreak sessions that I met with people, um, this woman came in and she was heartbroken because her grandmother died a week before her wedding. Right. Now, Interestingly enough, it wasn't the fact that her grandmother died. We sort of expect in our reality, like, oh, at some point my grandparents will die. Yeah, they're older than me. You know, they're more likely to die before I am. That's sort of part of the stories we tell ourselves. Um, it's the fact that she had died a week before the wedding. And the bride had actually a very fully formed sense of egoic reality based on what she expected to happen, where this grandmother was going to sit, what she was going to eat, what she was going to drink, her specialty cocktail, who she was going to introduce in terms of which of her friends who had heard about her in the past, the sort of sassy things that she would say to those friends. Literally, I mean, like there's a lot of storyline around it. And I totally understand and empathize with this. You know, I had this around my father before he passed. Uh, and it's, it's just like, oh, wait, reality 
is intervening here and saying, no, 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 no. This person's dead now. Those stories are gone. So same thing with, if, with a romantic heartbreak. It's not like, oh, I didn't know how long we'd be with it together and now they're gone. Well, isn't that a shame? It's like, I thought we were getting married and I had built my life around the stories that we were getting married. And now this person's no longer in my life and doesn't want to talk to me. What is going on? Like, it's just so confusing and hard, but it's because of the stories that we tell ourselves. I mean, there is something called broken heart syndrome where this manifests in physical symptoms, but generally speaking, it is, it's more egoic than, than like a physical thing. One of the ways that you define heartbreak is that vast pain that we suffer in response to our expectations not being met. Um, and then you say, you know, in some way, this is the truth that we all face as human beings. And it is, it's just so hard for us to sometimes accept that, that we do suffer in little and big ways all the time. And then to learn these skillful means to be able to sit with this heartbreak. Yeah, that's it. You also speak about bravery. And I know that there's a concept of bravery that we discuss in some Buddhist traditions. How do we stay brave regardless of what comes up in our lives so that we can keep our hearts open? So it's one thing to sit with heartbreak. It's another to open your heart up again and again and again. And what's, what's the way for us to do this? To continue to be brave, remain resilient. Yeah. Brave, yeah. brave open hearted. Once our hearts are broken, and for some of us over and over again, how do we keep an open heart? Yeah, I mean, you know, the Buddhist idea here is that we couldn't keep it closed if we tried, that love is innate to who we are, that we are innately loving and lovable. Um, and honestly, if I was heartbroken and I heard that, I'd be like, ah, bullshit. But <laughs> right, I, exactly. I, it is, I mean, it's the view, and it is, I think, it is my own experience that this is, like, every time we're like, no, I'm done with loving other people at some point we naturally heal over time i mean the whole time heals all wounds is a cliche for a reason as some way or type we heal to the point that we do want to open our heart again it's sort of instinctual or natural to who we are that we want to make connections with others so in some sense it's choiceless on the other hand it is incredibly brave particularly if we have put our heart on the table and someone came by with a hammer and smashed it, mm. obviously our first impulse is to scoop it up, seal ourselves off, armor up, not let anyone in. Mm -hmm. But the more we heal, the more it starts to, that armor starts to sort of like gradually fade. Yeah, It takes a lot to actually maintain it, to maintain the sort of closed off, I'm not gonna let anyone in mentality to the point that we end up just naturally doing it and putting ourselves out there again. Yeah, it's, uh, it sort of goes back to what you're saying about strengthening this muscle through meditation and kind of training, being with all, I liked what you said about being with all the little heartbreaks every day um, and to really practice in those little heartbreaks so that when the big heartbreaks come and they do, we'll be a little more prepared. Yeah, that's it. I, and I think it is the same way that when we're meditating, for example, we think of it as a training. We think of it, okay, I'm showing up for the breath. It's 10, 15 minutes. I may not feel peaceful at the end. I may peace, feel peaceful, who knows? But at least I'm training in learning to be present, learning to rest. Right. So that in the rest of my life, I might be able to actually apply this stuff. Um, same thing here. Like we're actually acknowledging some of the little sadnesses or heartbreaks or feelings of fatigue or depression or whatever it might be and sitting with it and giving it space so that when we do have larger heartbreaks in the rest of our life, 
we're not knocked over as easily. We're actually trained in how to be with them and accommodate them. Yeah. I mean, I just, I love that this book gets at all of these very, really important lessons for all of us and really sort of taps into our vulnerabilities. And, you know, you don't read the book from start to finish. You read the chapter based on where you are in your own heartbreaks. So if you're ready to hear that life is suffering or if you feel like you might never heal or um, if you feel alone or if you think you'll never love again or you feel like a failure. I mean, each one of these short chapters is for someone else, if you feel really, really depressed, if you feel like you'll never trust someone again. I mean, these are, you really tapped into all of these different feelings that we have, um, all of us. And I think this is really what connects us as human beings. So, and I think that's what makes this book such a great little treasure because it provides such great information, but it's also connecting all of us. We know that we've all been in many of these places. Yeah. And I, I think that's intentional. I mean, when we're heartbroken, we can't do the 10-step plan to get better. I don't think that's how it works. In fact, I remember shortly before this book came out, a meditation student of mine, her mother passed away. And as we were working through it, she sent me this wonderful image. And it says um, how heartbreak is supposed to look. And it was the five stages of grief. And it looked like a bell curve, you know, going through all five. And then the next panel said how heartbreak actually is. And it was, it added like 20 other sort of umbrella terms. And then like, it, it was just, it looked like a ball of yarn. It just zigzagged all around, yeah. bouncing back and forth. Because our emotional content is a little bit like riding a roller coaster. One day we might be like, oh, I'm getting better. And the next day we wake up and we feel like shit. And that's sort of the nature of the beast when we, when we deal with heartbreak. So I think having lots of like, well, I guess if I had to categorize it, I would feel blah today. That actually goes a long way in terms of us figuring out how to best relate to it. Thank you so much for writing this book. I mean, I feel like we can all fall apart with more confidence. So I'm really hoping that people will pick up this book because I think it's it's a bit of a game changer. Is there anything else that you want to share about the book, some other uh, gem to uncover that we might have missed? You know, when I do get these emails from people being like, I won't love again, and I have you know, a minute to leave on their voicemail, I find myself saying over and over again, even though you are probably going through something that feels very devastating, the good news about these devastating emotions is that they are subject to the same rules as everything else, i.e. they are impermanent too. Mm. So for anyone who is going through heartbreak right now, I, I would love to just put that message out there that even though you are currently feeling really not good, um, the good news is that that too will change. Thank you so much for sharing that. Lodra. Thanks for spending yeah. time with me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Thank you again so much. Thanks so much to Lodro for his insights and wisdom. Love Hurts is available at all major booksellers. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at patricia at meditationstudioapp.com. And don't forget to check out Meditation Studio in the App Store or on Google Play. We'll see you next week.